you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 2, um, I was talking last week in an illustration. Here's a man. He's very, very simple. He goes to a Presbyterian church, Glasgow, Scotland. He can't speak the king's English. He's there for many, many years. Whenever the doors open, this man's there, learns to read, learns the scriptures. He becomes uh, a person that the university and medical students come to for godly counsel. The pastor is saying the most moving moment that he had during the whole history of his pastorate there was on a Wednesday evening prayer meeting when he heard this same man pray to God and say, Oh God, thou who makest wise the simple. That's the promise of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That our having a relationship with God is able to make us wise in living our lives in this world for God's glory, for our own good. So in the second chapter here, Solomon says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithful ones. Then you'll understand what is right and just and fair in every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. And then down further to, um, let's see, I wanted to skip down to 16. It will save you also from the adulteress and from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and has ignored the covenant she has made before God. And so the promise here is, is if we are seeking, if we are asking, we are going to be finding wisdom as we come to the Lord for it. Now, what you're seeing in this text and really the first eight chapters of the, the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is repeatedly offering itself to all indiscriminately that will be of a humble, contrite, and needy heart and will come to God and ask for God for wisdom. Now, this is a promise. It's a promise that's found in the book of Genesis. We can see this in the man Joseph and in, in the tremendous wisdom that God gave him. We see it all the way through until the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation the, the scriptures have abundant references to men, women, who have asked God for wisdom and found God to be faithful and true, to give them the wisdom they needed at all times. Wisdom is promised to us as God the Father is our Father in this life. The Lord Jesus Christ, we're told, in him is found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we come to the Lord Jesus Christ... The things that were accomplished by him, we're told that the Holy Spirit begins to accomplish in us. And so the wisdom that is from God is found in each member of the Trinity, 
and it comes to us throughout our lives as we seek the Lord. Now, as, as we look at this passage of Scripture, and just go back to a, a, a few verses before in, in chapter 1, verse 20 and following, it says, Wisdom calls aloud in the street, and she raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Well, Macon isn't as noisy downtown as a lot of places where I've lived in my life. You go to West Palm Beach, Florida in the middle of the day, it's a noisy place downtown. And you think about the cry of the world and all the things that are going on in a city with all of the various machinations, and yet all the time, over and above that din, wisdom, God, is making himself available to us. We need to understand that. This is a noisy world, a noisy environment. Turn on the television. I mean, sometimes I'd like it just to go from program to program. But what happens? You might at prime time get four or five commercials in between every piece of programming. People crying and telling you what's wise, what's good, what you need, what's going to make you happy, and all of these promises. And what do we know? They're pretty temporal. And most of them, I, again, I love the ones about hair. I love them. They're my favorite. But what has yet to happen? I mean, the last time I reported on this was probably six months ago. And I said to you, if it ever happened, I'd come and report, and it hasn't happened. Nobody has run up and said, John, you saw that commercial right on Fox News at 7 o'clock? I called him, look. And <laughs> Marilyn, has it happened? Marilyn cuts what Marilyn and I, I call up and I ask her if Chip's called. And she said yes or no. And I said, because Chip and I need to get together and pay her once. She can cut my left side and his right side and it would be a fair deal. It's useless information much of the time, is it not? But it's distracting. Here's what God's promising all the time above that din. There is true wisdom that matches your life's needs, and it's available to us all the time. Now, it's the grace of God that that wisdom constantly is calling out to us never leaving us, always open to us. Now, a lot of times when we look at this language, we're often saying, well, where's Jesus? Well, I want to help you find Jesus in the midst of this. And if you want to turn or make a reference to Matthew 13, in Matthew 13, we have Jesus' parables. And at the end of the parables, Jesus is saying in 13, 51 and 2 to the disciples, have you understood all these things? So Jesus says, I've made all these parables, these wisdom statements. Have you, my disciples, my followers, have you understood what I'm saying? More than that, have you understood the way I'm teaching? Have you understood the way I'm teaching you to look at life? That's really what Jesus is asking. They said to him, yes, 
And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings forth his treasures, things new and things old. And the promise is that as we are wise, that God is going to give to us wisdom and that we are going to be a person that he uses to instruct and train and help others. Now, as I say about my own conversion, one of the doggondest things that happened. We've got a lawyer in this church, and his favorite word is doggone it. And I'm wondering how many of you figure out which lawyer that is, but doggone it is what he's saying over and over again. Well, doggone it, after I'd become converted, something happened. And where I was always the person going to people, always the person that was asking people's advice, always the person that had to find somebody to hang around with, always the person that was the one that looked like I was kind of like a, a, a parasite with a group of people, I turned around and found something. All of a sudden, people wanted to know what I was doing this weekend. People want to know, what do you think about what the Bible's teaching at this point? I've got a problem. What do you think? <laughs> this is pretty strange. Just exactly what Jesus is promising here is what I found to be true. We give ourselves to the truth and to the wisdom of God and God uses us to be, be an instrument to bring his wisdom and his truth to other people. That's the promise that you find here. Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, one of the things is found in chapter 3, verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. How do we do this? Well, look at Proverbs 2, verse 6 with me since we're in that chapter and looking at those verses. You see that it says, for the Lord gives. Now, if you look at the way the word Lord is spelled there, it's all in caps. It's not capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, all caps. Now, what does that mean? That means that that is God's covenant name. Now, think with me. That is God's covenant name name. Alright? Oftentimes, when you want to get something done, when you need to see something change, there's a big project that you're involved in. It's not what you know. It's what who you know. Now just stop and think. It's not what you know. That's understanding. That's knowledge. Wisdom is who do you know? Uh, you can beat yourself to death in making trying to get something done, doing it on your own. <laughs> but you can go to the right person, and all of a sudden, what? Something's happening. That's the way it is in the wide world that God's created. But it's his world. Now, we see if we were to go back in the Bible to uh, Gen or Exodus chapter 3, God said to Moses, 
I'm going to sons of Israel, and I'll say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? (laughs) What shall I say to them? So God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. And so the language here is we're talking to the God who has promised this. I will be your God, you will be my people. I will be your God, you will be my people. And all through the scriptures, this language is we call on the name of the Lord. We go right down the street to where we used to have Vineville Presbyterian Church. The name of the church today is Strong Tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and those who run to it are saved. You see it? The name of the Lord. We, what is the wisest thing in wisdom in the fear of the Lord? It's not to do it in your own eyes and in your own strength, but to call on the name of the Lord in any and every situation. Now, we've had those dear saints that have been in this church, and I think of one of them that used to be here, Orban Howell. And Orban, one of the things people loved about Orban was his wisdom. He was a man of wisdom. And you wouldn't know it unless someone told you, but going and visiting into the home, and you'll know something about me. Now, this is going to sound terrible. If you invite me into your house, I'm going to be nosy. Okay? I'm going to be nosy. I am going to pick things up. And I picked up his Bible. And I opened it. Written in the margin of the Bible was a day-by-day outline of the things that he had done. Visited our daughter in Jonesboro Sunday. It was a good day. Everybody's doing fine. Next day, back home, just me in Virginia and whatever it was, on and on through there. And every once in a while, scribbled in there something like, this is a real blessing. It's one of his favorite words. And the problem was, for the children, there were more children than there were Bibles. And when Orban died, everybody, every one of the children wanted one of those Bibles. Wisdom. Orban and Virginia knew the Lord and they called on the name of the Lord all the days of their life. Uh, showed itself in his golf game too. Albert Barnes and another man were playing golf with Virgil or Orban. And so Orban and the man he's playing golf with, that man has only one leg. At the eighth green, Orban saddles up next to Albert Barnes and he gets real close to him and says, Albert, 
How does it feel to be being beaten by 17 fingers and three legs? Now, if you know Orban, he had all them fingers missing. You know what he called them? This is wives. Here's a handicap. He called those things his congenital assets. You say big impediment? Not to Orban. Orban called on the name of the Lord throughout his life. What a great life. People love Orban. They love to hear stories about Orban. They love to tell their stories about Orban. Orban is a man of wisdom. We read the word of the Lord every day. We make our notes. We call upon his name in every situation. That's the way we do this. It's not very, very difficult. Now, wisdom has its warnings. I would like us just to look for a minute at James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, in verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, same language, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's the sense of it. The promise is there, beginning of Scripture to end of Scripture. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect he'll receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We should not ask God his wisdom and then doubt it. One of the key verses that we learned Many of us early on, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, what does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. That's what we should be doing. We call upon the name of the Lord because we know the Lord will hear and answer and direct. The other thing we see is don't be a double-minded man. Now, this is more than just being a person that is sort of uncertain, a doubter. But a double-minded man, really, the double-minded man is a person or a woman that's like this. Above all, they want what they want. That's the double-mindedness. I really am not sure I want what God wants. I know I want what I want. And so they'll go to God's word to see what God's word says. They will pray to God and they will ask for what God said. And they can be like one lady up in the church I had in Milledgeville. And I would go to, from place to place in the town every once in a while. I'd meet another pastor and the pastor would say, well, oh, you're the pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church and so-and-so is a member of your church. I'd say, well, yeah, sure she is. How do you know her? Oh, she stops by about three or four times a year, just asks my opinion. About what? Oh, she was in about a month or two ago, and she was asking me about this. Well, guess what? She'd been to me asking about that. It wasn't long before I found out that this girl had pastor after pastor in town that she would go to, because she had a problem, and what was she looking for? The answer she wanted to hear. And she would shop preachers and counselors until she found that answer. 
That's double-mindedness. That's not what we should be doing. Do we want what the Lord wants? If we go and we ask in faith, believing, then we take his answer and we move forward with it. King Saul was probably a person that was guilty of this more than anyone in the scriptures that we can look at. Repeatedly, King Saul is guilty of this. He wants something, but more than what he, anything else, Saul wants what he wants. He may go to the Lord, he may go to the prophet, he may go here, he may go there, he may ask King David before David was king. But ultimately, Saul did what Saul wanted to do. And it's an example of a double-minded man. Recently, there was a college grad, got out of college, and what do you think he had a hard time finding? Just what do you think? Six months. Now he's got a job. Good company. Good opportunity. Good compensation. After the training, he's put in an incredibly difficult location. The people he's having to manage are difficult. The clientele because of the location is very difficult. And after months, the idea is... I need to find another job. Now, in the midst of that, counsel came. Pray about it. Ask the Lord. Be patient. Talk to some of your friends. Talk to others that are wiser. Everybody's counsel came back the same. Leave this job. The likelihood of finding a job like it very small. Months and weeks and months and weeks and months and weeks and it's just weighing on this young man. Finally he talks to the supervisor. The supervisor's known this all along. The supervisor says, okay, be patient. After a year, relocated, to a location, it's not perfect. But the questioning, the doubting, the desire for a change is over. And contentment and peace are present. It's like that. Most of us have gone through that. Many of us go through that in other areas of life other than our vocation. So we do what the scriptures say, and we find God's wisdom. We accept it by faith, and we follow it, even though it's difficult. Well, the third thing we want to look at is that wisdom allows us to adapt. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom makes us adaptable. Wisdom allows us to live, to thrive, to excel, to find joy, to have satisfaction, to have peace, to have contentment, to have hope, 
to know we're being led by God. How about this for American folk religion? You ready? If mama's not, then that's an urban myth. That's an urban myth. I can name names. I think of my friend Manny. Sure glad I'm not going home there every night. <laughs> Some of you might say amen, but you better not. Manny's situation is like fingernails on a chalkboard much of the time. Manny uses... R.C. Sproul's Table Talk for devotions every day. Reads through Table Talks articles every month. Is involved in a good church. He's there every Sunday morning and evening. When he's in town, he's there midweek. He's got accountability. He's got a couple people that are like me, pastors and friends. You know how many people know about Manny's situation? I'd say me and maybe two other pastors in a different state. It's very difficult. But the language that we believe often is the language of urban myth. And we don't believe the words of the scripture. There was a lady by the name of Darlene Diebler Rose, and during World War II, she was in an internment camp, separated from her husband in another internment camp. She watched the commandant of that camp as he captured a local part of the population, a male, who for some reason, no one ever, she never knew why, was trying to communicate with some of the women inside that camp. And the Japanese caught that man and put him on a stage in front of all the women with the hopes that they could break the one woman down and that Japanese commandant began to kick that man. He was tied and he kicked him and he kicked him in the legs and he kicked him in the shins and he stomped on his feet with his boots and finally the man went down and this man was just in a rage now kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking until the man died. Now this young Christian woman, about 24 at the time, was praying, calling upon the name of the Lord, and in the midst of that, she was made the headmistress of the entire camp. A couple hundred women, most of them, almost all of them older than her. Calling upon the name of the Lord, and through that whole thing, she prevailed. The end of the war came and went. The man had changed a great deal because of her influence. She went back and visited Japan after the war. And someone said to her, you used to be in that internment camp, didn't you? She said, yeah. Do you know that the commandant of that camp lives just up in the next community? 
No. Yep. He says the result of his experience there, he became a Christian. Evidence Not Seen. That's the title of her book. It's a wonderful book. But here's what it tells us. You can't see God. But if you call upon his name, you'll see him in every aspect of your life. That's his promise. Let's pray. Now we thank you, Father, for wisdom. Thank you for the presence.